from the city of Providencialis. Here is tonight's Nations Report with Zoya Fessler. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2023, the middle of the week. Here's a look at today's headlines. TCIG will soon have new aerial imagery of the islands. TCI Salvation Army opens its doors to new facility. Mexico introduces strictest tobacco laws. Barbados burns illegal drugs. French nun dies at 118 years old. Celebrities test positive for COVID-19. And in sports, updated scores from basketball and softball matchups. We'll also take a look at your weather forecast with those stories and more. I'm Soya Fassler. And now, here is tonight's news. Thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to our listeners. The Turks and Caicos Islands government, through the National Security Secretariat and the Attorney General's Chambers Lands Division, has partnered with PLACE to capture new high-resolution aerial and street view images of both Providenciales and Grand Turk. For two weeks, which commenced on January 9, 2023, a field survey team from PLACE, which is a USA-based nonprofit data trust that creates and stewards hyperlocal mapping data in the public interest, was in the Turks and Caicos Islands. The team will deliver training in the operation of unmanned aerial vehicle, including flight planning, flight repetitions, and data processing training to technical officers with the Survey and Mapping Department, Public Works Department, Department of Disaster Management and Emergencies, as well as local surveyors. The TCIG will acquire the tools and techniques to continue the acquisition of imagery in all the islands as part of a memorandum of understanding between TCIG and PLACE. Commissioner of Lands Mrs. Tatum Clairvaux stated in a press release, quote, The project seeks to address the challenges faced by the Turks and Caicos Islands when it comes to data collection, especially on informal settlements. It focuses on incorporating drones to create detailed, real-time maps of islands to be used in the monitoring and control of informal settlements. The training and the collected data will improve local authorities' technical capacity and will ensure that imagery is always available to facilitate change detection, site analysis, site monitoring, morphology analysis, and enabling informing enforcement mechanisms to address the reality of informal settlements. The imagery derived from this partnership will also facilitate the monitoring of urban development juxtaposed to physical planning policies and derived geospatial intelligence for the micro and macroeconomic ambitions of the Turks and Caicos Islands. End quote. The Honorable Attorney General Rondalee Brathwaite Knowles believes that land is undoubtedly a source of material wealth and is therefore inextricably linked to the developmental ambitions of the Turks and Caicos Islands. Land resources are finite and must be managed to ensure the nation's sustainability. And members of the Salvation Army have opened their doors to a new $2.6 million facility along the Leeward Highway in Providenciales with the aim of expanding its services and trying to attract more young people and those in need to a safe haven, calling it the Brighter Future Center. The building would serve as a multi-purpose facility with a commercial-grade kitchen. 
The nonprofit organization will now be able to expand on their school hot lunch program, a women's crisis center, a skills training center, and also a hurricane shelter. The facility will also be able to rent for occasions such as weddings and receptions, trainings, graduations, and more, with rental fees going towards the youth programs in which the Salvation Army offers. The project has taken years to build, with many obstacles overcome. It has been over 10 years uh, since we started the process towards this building. It's uh, an island of you know 45,000 people and there are lots of great charities and so to draw two and a half million out of the charity pool would have impacted greatly other people's work that were you know in the community doing good things so our, our, our one of our goals was to raise the money from outside sources um, so we started that process and that's not an easy process so it has taken a while. The actual construction uh, started before the pandemic um, and was helped by a lot of local businesses in terms of donations of materials and supplies and then uh, a large amount of time quantity surveying wise by Mr. Mark Parrish who did that all on his volunteer time um, but really the key to this building uh, was when I sat down with a family uh, named Jim and uh, sorry um, David and Julie uh, Brown and they um, they have a love for Turks and Caicos they're Canadian but they have a home here and we weren't going to raise the 2.5 million by selling chocolates I needed large donations and uh, they pledged $750,000 towards this building and the Salvation Army from uh, Bahamas and, and I think overall the Caribbean uh, gave us the funds to buy the land. So with the funds to buy the land, we bought the land with Mr. Brown's injection and others gave us the courage to start even though we weren't fully funded. But I knew at that point we had enough to, to make sure we would complete it. Commissioner Devin Houghton, Territorial Commander for the Salvation Army, his wife Commissioner Verona Houghton, Territorial President of the Salvation Army Women's Ministry, and Major Rudolph Mayo, Divisional Commander for the Bahamas and the Turks and Caicos Islands, all flew into the islands to join the local administrators, Major Ernest Gashlin and his wife Major Germanique Gashlin, to mark the occasion. The Salvation Army has served the TCI communities for more than 10 years under their motto, Doing the Most Good. They have assisted with hurricane relief, hosted the school's hot lunch program, and most famously at Christmas time, you'll see red kettles and bells ringing for that extra holiday change. With this new building, a number of new programs and initiatives will be rolled out in the upcoming months. The Turks and Caicos Island Salvation Army is the 131st of the 133 organizations worldwide, and it is the youngest such entity in the region, having been officially commissioned in 2011. One of the most famous fundraisers for the Salvation Army is set to be held this February, and that is the Chocolate Lovers Showcase. We will bring you more details in a subsequent newscast. And the Caribbean Regional Youth Council is an independent and democratic confederation of national youth councils and national youth-led organizations. 
The Caribbean Regional Youth Council was established as a result of decisions made at three Caribbean Youth Leaders Summits hosted in 2011, 2012, and 2013. During these summits, youth representatives from around the Caribbean supported the creation of the Caribbean Regional Youth Council, recognizing a need for a unified regional body to advocate for and advance the development agenda of Caribbean youth. Since its inception, the Caribbean Regional Youth Council has sought to establish itself as a strategic youth governance network and advocacy movement promoting regional representation integration and cooperation as a platform for youth development. A key part of the Caribbean Regional Youth Council's core mandate is the positioning of the council to be an essential engine, not only for advancing the cause of youth, but as a catalyst towards democracy, social transformation, and good governance. The Caribbean Youth Leader Summit 7 took place in Trinidad and Tobago from January 12th through 15th. Two of the Turks and Caicos Islands' leading youth leaders, Ariel Neely and Leo Lightborn, along with the Director of Youth Affairs, represented our island home. It was indeed crucial for youth in Turks and Caicos Islands to have a voice during the 7th Caribbean Youth Leaders Summit because we are now at a point where globally we are moving away from the COVID-19 pandemic and things may have been a bit stagnant in youth development regionally. However, the youth will discuss practical solutions and strategies focusing on how young people can contribute and add value to advancing global development in a post-COVID-19 world. During the summit, youth will explore and develop a youth regional strategy and action plan for the 2030 Agenda with a keen focus on sustainable development goals, such as sustainable cities, communities, peace, justice, and strong institutions. These will also intersect with climate change, youth employment, intervention, health, gender equality, and more importantly, which is one of my favorite topics, inclusive youth development, governance, rule of law, and role of the young person in decision making. Lastly, I want to encourage the youth of Turks and Caicos to be a part of not just programs offered by the Department of Youth Affairs, such as the National Youth Parliament and the National Youth Council, but other active youth groups, such as Interact, Rotaract, the Youth Center, which affords youth many opportunities to have their voice heard on regional platforms and be a part of the policy development process. Now RTC also spoke with the leaders representing the TCI to find out their views on the event, what the sessions entailed, and what they learned. During the first day of Caribbean Youth Leader Summit in Tobago, we got an introduction to all the Caribbean youth delegates. We attended sessions on youth invoking change, health and wellness with emphasis on occupational health, and the results of the Youth Skills Survey 2022 were discussed. For me, the highlight of the day was this Youth Skills Survey 2022 session. The overall survey discovered that we are very educated. It's just that we are miseducated on the life skills that cannot be taught in formal learning, such as money management and coding. 
From these sessions, I noticed that across the Caribbean, we are facing similar issues such as engaging the male population and so on. For the remainder of the summit, I look forward to the transfer of knowledge among the present nations that could assist with the development of youth and strategies to activate our voice to add value globally. Day one of the Caribbean Youth Leadership Summit was a great success and a great experience. You know, the event, the entire day focused on um, just empowering young people to be the change. Everyone that took the stage, you know, talked about us being a change and not waiting on governments or waiting on anybody and just forming our groups and just starting where with what we have, you know, and I love that every panelist from ministers to um, to youth organizations themselves, just telling young people, just just get the ball rolling, just get the ball rolling, and I, and I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed this the keynote speech by Dr. Faith, who looked at health holistically. You know, she talked about financial health and and physical health and mental health. You know, when we when we hear the word health, we only think physically. But health also has to do with the way we, we maintain relationships, uh, interpersonal skills. You know, all of that factors in. And so, so, so hearing her keynote was very, very enlightening. And then you had other panels that talked about things like sexual health and the benefits of volunteering. So overall, day one was was fantastic experience. And, you know, what I'm trying to gain from the summit is is building relationships and learning more about youth work and projects happening in other regions. You know, the event provides a unique opportunity for young leaders, youth development practitioners, academics, policymakers to come together and to to discuss and reflect on the region's youth development agenda. So I I, I am excited about that. I'm excited to hear um, from our experts in the region and also build that camaraderie because together I believe we can we can we can get there faster, you know. So um, yeah, I'm really really looking forward to the remaining of the conference. Youth leadership supports youth in developing the ability to analyze their own strengths and weaknesses, set personal and professional goals, and have the self-esteem, confidence, motivation, and abilities to carry them out. Providing leadership training prepares youth to manage their time, work in a team setting, start conversations, facilitate meetings, and make effective presentations, all of which are positive life skills that they will carry into adulthood. Youth leaders who can motivate their peers and lead by example will make the youth group stronger and more effective. Please continue to keep up the good work, encouraging and empowering our youth to become better leaders. That wraps up our local news segment. Regional News is up next.
take a look at what's going on with our neighbors. Students' access to wholesome and nutritious school meals is becoming a reality in Suriname thanks to the support of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, the Government of Mexico, and the Government of Suriname. Three special education schools in Suriname received kitchen infrastructure upgrades to improve food quality and safety in the preparation of school meals for students. Upgrades to existing school kitchens is an important step in ensuring access to healthy school meals, as it guarantees schools are well equipped with the appliances, utensils, and storage facilities to prepare and preserve a wide range of locally sourced produce, meats, and dairy products. In consultation with the Ministry of Education, Science and Culture, the Resilient School Feeding Program sub-project identified three schools in need of such upgrades and a rapid needs assessment was conducted to identify the most urgent basic kitchen needs for each school. The schools received infrastructure upgrades to existing kitchens through the provision of new appliances and utensils, new refrigerators and kitchen ranges, pots, pans, hand mixers, and kitchen scales, as well as each school receiving a wooden kitchen cabinet. The Resilient Caribbean Initiative, funded by the Mexican Agency for International Development Cooperation and the Mexican Ministry of Foreign Affairs, is being implemented by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations in 14 CARICOM countries, with school feeding being one of the areas supported in the Bahamas, Belize, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, St. Lucia, Trinidad and Tobago, and Suriname. While Suriname currently does not have an active national school feeding program, the government, with the support of the sub-project, is developing a draft school feeding policy. The sub-project will continue its efforts this year to support the government of Suriname with developing a resilient school feeding program and support additional schools with the installation of sinks to improve access to drinking water. Now, one of the world's strictest anti-tobacco laws has been imposed in Mexico, a total ban on smoking in public places, including hotels, beaches, and parks. The new law, which is part of the country's general law for tobacco control reform, came into effect on Sunday. It will also see the total ban on the promotion, advertising, and sponsorship of tobacco products. The sale and use of e-cigarettes and vapes are also due to face new restrictions. The new blanket ban extends on an existing federal and state tobacco control law, which came into place in 2008, banning smoking in indoor spaces such as bars, restaurants, and workplaces. Speaking in December 2022 on Mexico's road to tobacco control, Dr. Juan Arturo Sabines, the Pan American Health Organization's national consultant, said the landmark measures would entail going up against one of the biggest, most powerful industries in the world. About 16% of adults in Mexico are tobacco smokers and smoking causes nearly a million deaths in the Americas each year. Bolivia and Chile hold the highest smoking rates in the region at 40% and 38.7% respectively. Brazil, El Salvador, Mexico, and Chile are among Latin American nations also considering implementing tobacco control policies to reduce tobacco use, which kills over 8 million people a year in their populations. And a massive quantity of illegal drugs worth over 11 million Barbadian dollars was destroyed on Tuesday, January 17th by the Barbados Police Force. These illegal drugs would have come into police custody via various police operations and investigations 
court cases that would have been adjudicated and official orders were given to have the drugs disposed of. Photos were seen of the drugs in cardboard boxes, garbage bags, and suitcases piled up and ready to be burned. According to police, the drugs included over 2,000 pounds of cannabis, valued at more than 9 million Barbadian dollars, and close to 5 pounds of cocaine, worth 110,000 Barbadian dollars. That wraps up the happenings around the region. International news is next. And let's take a look around the world. Bankrupt cryptocurrency firm FTX said on Tuesday that $415 million worth of crypto was hacked from the exchange's accounts, representing a sizable portion of the identified assets the company is trying to recover. In a presentation titled Maximizing FTX Recoveries, lawyers and advisors for FTX debtors updated the total liquid assets identified for recovery and said they're valued at about $5.5 billion. Five FTX sorry, filed for bankruptcy after a wave of withdrawals crippled the exchange and sister hedge fund Alameda. Founder and ex-CEO Sam Bankman-Fried was indicted by federal prosecutors on fraud and money laundering charges in December. Bankman-Fried pled not guilty to the charges early this January and he's released on a $250 million bond ahead of his trial, which is set for October. The sports stadium in South Florida that the NBA's Miami Heat calls home, which was sponsored and named the FTX Arena after a deal in 2021 where Miami-Dade officials negotiated what was to be a 19-year, $135 million naming rights pact with the crypto company. Under the deal, which went into effect in June 2021, the Miami Heat were to receive $2 million annually. FTX was scheduled to make its next payment of $5.5 million to the county on January 1st. Now that name will be removed and the arena will be called the Miami-Dade Arena for now. Scrubbing the FTX name from the massive multipurpose venue will take time. The arena has FTX branding on its roof court and hallway entrances, as well as on polo shirts worn by security personnel and electronic cards used to access the building. Miami-Dade County officials asked for its FTX naming rights deal to be ended in November of 2022, saying that at the time, continuing to refer to the building as the FTX Arena would only add to the enduring hardships that was brought on by the collapse of the crypto exchange. A judge just a few days ago ruled in favor of the Miami-Dade County. And a French nun, Sister Andre, the world's oldest known person, died on Tuesday at the age of 118 years old in France at a retirement home. The city's mayor, Hubert Falco, announced the death of her news on Twitter, writing that it is with immense sadness and emotion that I learned tonight of the passing of the world's oldest person, Sister Andre. Born as Lucille Randon on February 11, 1904, Sister Andre dedicated most of her life to religious service. Before becoming a Catholic nun, she looked after children during World War II and then spent 28 years caring for orphans and elderly people at a hospital. Sister Andre was laterally blind and in a wheelchair since early 2010 
However, that did not stop her from helping others. When she turned 118 in 2022, the nun received a handwritten birthday note from French President Emmanuel Macron, the 18th French president of her lifetime. There have also been 10 different popes presiding over the Catholic Church since she was born. Sister Andre was a French supercentenarian, living to the age of 118 years and 340 days. She had been the world's oldest verified living person since the 19th of April 2022, following the death of Kane Tanaka. She was also the oldest known survivor of the COVID-19 pandemic, having tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 just a month before her 117th birthday. And for a bit of celebrity and health news, the 80th Golden Globe Awards honored the best in film and American television of 2022, as chosen by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The ceremony was held on January 10, 2023, from the Beverly Hilton in Beverly Hills, California, with it being aired live in the United States on NBC and streamed on Peacock. Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Pfeiffer are among some of the celebrities that contracted COVID-19 after attending the Golden Globes. After analyzing the increase in COVID cases in the United States and the celebrities contracting the virus after the Golden Globes, the organizers of the 28th Critics' Choice Awards, which were presented on January 15th at the Fairmont Century Plaza Hotel in Los Angeles, California, honoring the finest achievements of filmmaking and television programming in 2022, requested that all attendees must have presented a negative coronavirus test before entering the venue. Jamie Lee Curtis posted an image of three positive home tests for COVID-19 and captioned them, I'm glad there are all these home tests available so I won't go to the American Film Institute luncheon and spread my germs. Based on data from the Centers for Disease Control, or the CDC, weekly cases of COVID-19 have exceeded 400,000 for the past six weeks, figures not seen since late September 2022. Weekly COVID-19 deaths are trending higher, with 3,907 reported as of January 11th. And as we saw yesterday, our Minister of Health and Minister of Education took the initiative in getting boosterized. The COVID-19 virus is rapidly spreading once again, and we must protect ourselves and those around us. Continue good hygiene practices, wear masks in crowded spaces, and take your shot. That's it for International News. Sports is up next. Let's take a look at the scores from this past weekend's softball and basketball inter-school matchups. 
In softball, the Clement Howell High School defeated the Marjorie Basin High 13-10. British West Indies Collegiate defeating Wesley Methodist 12-4. Wesley Methodist defeating Louise Garland Thomas High 19-15. And British West Indies Collegiate defeating Louise Garland Thomas High 25-3. We go over to the basketball courts where Clement Howell High School defeated the Marjorie Basin High 64-61. Louise Garland Thomas High defeated Wesley Methodist 48-17. Alpha Christian Academy defeated British West Indies Collegiate 31-27. H.J. Robinson High defeating Maranatha Academy 54-24. Looks like these athletes definitely came back with energy and a competitive drive. And President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris had a visit from the Golden State Warriors at the White House on Tuesday. The Warriors have won four championships in eight years, but they didn't visit the White House while Donald Trump was president, as he publicly disinvited them after Stephen Curry, the team's star player, said that he wasn't interested in going. Although they won the championship in 2015, 2017, and 2018, their dreams of a dynasty were falling apart when key players became injured. The Warriors fell to the bottom of the league. Vice President Kamala Harris, a California native and longtime Warriors fan, was excited to have her team in the White House. Harris said she has a Customs Warriors jersey that she keeps by her treadmill at home, calling it a symbol of determination and teamwork. Along with Biden, Harris got a new jersey from Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Harris's jersey donned the number one for number one fan, and Biden got one with 46 since he's the 46th president. That brings us to the end of sports, but before we go, let's take a look at our weather forecast. The U.S. National Hurricane Center has released a special tropical outlook on a non-tropical low-pressure system that is located over the northwestern Atlantic Ocean, about 300 miles north of Bermuda, and is producing storm force winds. The low-pressure system is expected to move northeastward, bringing the system over much colder waters and across Atlantic Canada. It is unlikely that the low will transition to a subtropical or tropical cyclone. The system has been given a 0% chance of formation, hence the cool breezes in which we're feeling. Weather conditions for the middle of the week remain of intervals of clouds and sunshine, highs of 78 degrees and lows of 73. Winds are light and variable, coming from the east at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Humidity remains between 64 and 70%. That completes our weather forecast and today's news. Recapping the news for today, TCIG will soon have new aerial imagery of the islands. TCI Salvation Army opens its doors to new facility. Mexico introduces strictest tobacco laws. Barbados burns illegal drugs. French nun dies at 118 years old. Celebrities test positive for COVID-19. And in sports, updated scores from basketball and softball matchups. I want to thank you all so much for joining me here on RTC 89.1 FM for today's newscast. If you'd like to read more stories or if you missed today's presentation, you can visit our website at www.rtc89fm.com. 
or download the RTC app in the Google Play Store for the news or to listen to our podcast. If you see news in the making or you just have a story you'd like us to follow, please email us at news at rtc89fm.com. I am Soya Fassler. Join us again tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. for another edition of The Nation's Report.